Audio Parfait. Hey guys, how you doing? Hi guys. Welcome back to... Open a fucking book. Yeah. We are on episode two of Harper Lee. Yes. You remember where we left off? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm horrible at that. Uh, We had just learned about the Scottsboro trial. Oh, yes. Pivotal in not just the nation, but in Harper Lee's writing. So, now, finally... To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. So, um, friends said that she just called it the bird. The bird. The bird is the word. Uh, It was first published in 1960 and won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1961. This is something you're going to see quite a bit. She she wins a lot of awards. Well, of course. She's fucking genius. I mean, this this book wins a lot of fucking awards. And I don't think I I don't even cover all of them, but I'll I'll cover a few of them. Uh, in the novel, Lee relates events through her narrator, Jean Louise Scout Finch, and her brother, Jim, are reared by Atticus, their widowed father, and Copernica Calpurnia, the African-American domestic servant from who Atticus trusts with their care while he works in his law office. Uh, Atticus's sister, Alexandria, occasionally interferes, uh, especially after Scout start school in the summer dill a character a character loosely inspired by truman capote yes yes yes, yes. now now you see because you were under the impression that maybe he was boo radley you had said that to me several times oh truman's boo radley i said no he's not he's somebody else well, now we know it's now we know. dill like hey now when i call somebody a dill hole you just tell you just call him true it's a compliment no, it's it's you're not. Calling like, him Truman Capote. You're Truman Hole. Capote. <laughs> Truman Capote. Hole. Yeah. Uh, uh, they visit uh, Dill's aunt and help Scout and Jem in, uh, invent schemes to lure an eccentric neighbor, Arthur Boo Radley, from his home. The children also become embroiled in the tension and conflict that results from Atticus's defense of Tom Robinson, a black man accused of raping. Mayella Yule, a white woman. So right there, right off the bat, boom. Just like Scottsboro Trust, right off the bat. Black guy getting accused of raping a white woman, and he didn't do it. But again, it's based in the 1930s. Uh, Atticus fails to secure an acquittal for Tom from an all-white, all-male jury. Later, Tom is shot in prison. Myella's father, Bob, seeks revenge on Atticus for embarrassing his family by attacking Scout and Jem, an attack thwarted by Boo Radley that brings together the plots and thus the theme of the novel. So, again, we all read To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't really need to get too in-depth into Kill a Mockingbird because if you're listening to this and you have enough of a curiosity about authors... You've read To Kill a Mockingbird once or twice. Yeah, mostly, probably when you were in high school. I read it in high school. M- most Americans do. Mrs. Long's class. 
And uh, then we watch you know, immediately after we watch the movie. Yeah. And the movie's fantastic. I love the movie. It's it's a great movie. I mean, it the book is probably worth revisiting. I I definitely say it is worth revisiting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, something like that. You would definitely it's definitely something you can go back to and read several times and it's I would say it's just as good every time. But I'm wondering if I should read Go set a Watchman? Yeah, instead to get the there's original no reason, There's no reason you can't read both. Well, I mean, I know, but I mean to get the original perspective. Well, of I mean the it's book. The, it's not I'm not going to say that's we'll get to go set a watchman here in a little bit, but I wouldn't say that it's exactly the same as what the manuscript was, but it's pretty damn close. I mean, they revised some of it just to make it readable, but it's pretty damn close to what it originally was. Uh, now the success of To Kill a Mockingbird was so immediate that the novel's release was described as a summer storm. Uh, critics praised Lee for capturing the setting of a small southern town with its complex social fabric of blacks, and whites of all classes, aristocratic, hardworking middle class, to white trash, which, I mean, we all know somebody. Uh, oh. others, other reviewers commented on its narr- narrative technique, characterization, balance of humor and tragedy, use of symbolism, and careful interweaving of numerous themes such as childhood innocence and adult perceptions, justice and injustice, racial tolerance, and intolerance, cowardice, courage, whether the physical courage of facing a lynch mob and shooting a rabid dog, or the courage of standing up for one's beliefs in the face of public condemnation. Which, I mean, if you're looking for a book to show some sort of bravery that you want to, like, teach your kids about, you could point to to go kill a, mo- to, uh, to kill a mockingbird. Yeah, definitely. And if, if you're in college and you have to write a paper and you have to find a book with a theme I, you could read to kill a mockingbird again and you can get like 50 uh, different themes yeah i imagine if you're at college if you're in a state college or a university and you write a paper on to kill a mockingbird it better be the best fucking paper you ever wrote because the teacher's probably gonna look the professor's probably gonna look at you and go this is this is a junior high school book well i mean because i'm yeah. talking more like give it to like young young kids 11 12 13 14 uh you want to know about sticking up for something you believe in? Here, read this. Yeah, I'm I'm talking about how you can you can go in depth with those themes more so as an older perspective with an older perspective versus yeah, when you, you're a you kid. Would, you would really have to delve in deep, but yeah, you could. You'd really have to. You'd have to write a really good fucking paper, but yeah, you could delve in deep into certain aspects of it. Uh, especially with all the shit going on now, you know, bring like what we did with the Scottsboro trial, bring some of that real life aspect into it and, and show how it reflects. Yeah. And compare and contrast with today's writers and today's works yeah. or, yeah, I mean, you could easily write a 10 page paper on. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't have to. It doesn't matter if the book is 50 years old or not. Just. Yeah. Well, and to talk about those uh, awards earlier, uh, Lee won numerous awards. In addition to the Pulitzer Prize, the Brotherhood Award of the National Conference of Christians and Jews in 1961, the Alabama Library Association Award in 1961, 
Best Sellers Paperback of the Year Award, 1962, and additional designations such as a Literary Guild selection, a Reader's Digest Condensed Book selection, and an alternate for the Book of the Month Club. Oh, wow. Yeah. When you make it to the Book of the Month Club, you've made it. (laughs) I think the only thing better than that would be making it to Oprah's Book of the Month Club. Oh, hell yeah. I mean... Spoiler on somebody we might see down the road. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Lee helped with the adaptation of the book uh, to the 1962 Academy Award-winning screenplay by Horton Foote and approved of the results. Quote, I think it is one of the best translations of a book to film ever made. And I agree. She also escorted lead actor Gregory Peck around town. Peck won an Oscar for his portrayal of Atticus Finch. The families became close. Peck's grandson, Harper Peck Vull, is named after her. Aw, that's kind of sweet. Uh, uh, Yeah, well, I mean, her book did give him an Academy Award. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying that you owe her, but you kind of fucking owe her. I mean, to be named after someone, though, I mean, that's very... I mean, she was named after two people. There's no, no reason she can have people named after her. Well, yeah. Uh, initially, Lee tried to answer personal correspondence from the fans on her own, uh, but when she began receiving more than 60 letters a day, she realized the demand on her time was too great. Her sister Alice became her lawyer, and Lee obtained an unlisted telephone number to reduce distractions from many people seeking interviews or public appearances. From the time of the publication of To Kill a Mockingbird until her death, Lee granted almost no request for interviews or public appearances. I'm not going to say she turned into a recluse because she went out. She did. She didn't just stay in her house and do nothing. So she wasn't a recluse. But if you didn't know who she was before, you still wouldn't know because you're not going to see her on TV. You're not going to see a bunch of pictures of her everywhere. From just after... Mockingbird is published and, and and then the movie comes out and all that stuff. I would say probably about 1963, 1964, all the way up to the 2000s, you weren't seeing very much of uh, Harper Lee, except for one time when she comes you know, out to help her old friend, friend Truman Capote. I w- maybe introverted. She just didn't like being around people. <sighs> she She liked being around certain people that she liked. That's introverts. Yeah, yeah but I mean, she didn't like she she's she wasn't big on all the attention being on her. You know, uh, some people love attention. She wanted to write a book, so she did. And I mean, she 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 picked one thing, was extremely successful at it, and then she said, "Okay, I'm done. You can give give all the praise to somebody." One and else. done. Yeah, one and done. And I mean, she she literally never had to write another book again with all the money she fucking made off of it, which I'll get to in a little bit, but that book made her rich as shit. I'm not bet. I bet. That one fucking book that every junior high or high school kid has to read. Uh, Lee also assumed significant care responsibilities for her father, who was thrilled with her success and even began, began signing autographs as Atticus Finch, because he was the inspiration for it. However, his health worsened, and he died in Alabama on April 15, 1962. She decided to spend more time in New York City as she mourned, but over the decades, her friend Truman became embroiled in a flamboyant 
jet-set lifestyle far from her preference for anonymity and more Spartan lifestyle. Lee preferred to visit friends at their homes, though she came to distance herself from those who criticized her drinking, and also made unannounced appearance at libraries or other gatherings, particularly in Monroeville. So just out of the blue, she'd show up somewhere. Probably because she was drunk and felt like it. Uh, maybe. I mean, she would have the, the, the spurts where she'd want to be around people. You know, she'd go to a library, read a little bit uh, to people or something, but it was, they're few and far in between. Yeah. It was one of those things like, holy shit, did you see Harper Lee showed up? And then nobody sees her again for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, January 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson appointed Lee to the National Council of the Arts. Nice. Lee also realized that her book had become controversial particularly with supporters of massive resistance. In 1966, Lee wrote a letter to the editor in response to the attempts of a Richmond, of a Richmond Virginia area school board to ban To Kill a Mockingbird as immoral literature. Quote, Surely it is plain to the simplest intelligent that To Kill a Mockingbird spells out in words of seldom more than two syllables a code of honor and conduct, Christian in its ethic, that is the heritage of all Southerners. To hear that the novel is immoral has made me count the years between now and eight, 1984, for I have yet to come across a better example of double think. Yeah, she wasn't happy that it was getting banned. She did the reverse Mark Twain, who was perfectly fine with his book being banned uh, because he didn't think people should be that age should be reading it anyway. Uh, she felt completely different. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. James J. Kilpatrick, editor of the Richmond News Leader, started the Beetle Bumble Fund to pay fines for victims of what he termed despots on the beach. He built the fund using contributions from readers and later used it to defend books as well as people. After the board in Richmond ordered schools to dispose of all copies of To Kill a Mockingbird, Kilpatrick wrote, quote, A more moral novel scarcely could be imagined. In the name of the Beetle Bundle Fund, he then offered free copies to children who wrote in, and by the end of the first week, he had given away 81 copies. I guess that's a lot for back then. For a kid, you have to write in for a book. Yeah. So getting a kid to write anything, for one. 81 fucking copies. And these kids all wanted this book. And that's just in, this, that's just in Richmond, Virginia. That's just one town. It wasn't wasn't nationally banned. It's just one town. Mockingbird had made Lee extravagantly wealthy. Today, more than 40 million copies have been sold. The book has been translated into more than 40 languages. This popularity led to an impressive income for Lee. Court papers from a 2012 lawsuit show that the author received about $3 million in royalties from Mockingbird every year. Damn. Yeah, so you take all the money... All the years that she lived, that she was getting all that money in. And she she didn't live in a big mansion. She didn't drive a bunch of big cars. You'll see she takes, she lives in a in a, a Manhattan apartment, which is expensive, but she rides the bus places. When she goes down to see her sister, they go to the laundromat. Uh, she does spend her money on, on, a, on a few things, though. Um, so she was mostly frugal. She just didn't have, she had, had nothing to spend the money on. She didn't want anything extravagant. So there's no point in spending it on extravagant shit. She didn't want a Fabergé egg in her front room, so you don't buy one. 
Yeah, that would be a waste of money. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't have known to look around in her life. She had a modest apartment in New York City, got around by bus while in town. She returned to her hometown of Monroeville, Alabama, traveling by train. So she's named Fly. It is cheaper to <laughs> go by train, I suppose. Uh, I mean, it co- you. I mean, it was a four-hour trip, a little over four-hour trip for us to get from here to Chicago. And I mean, we. We had a little cabin, but it was still damn near $300 for a round trip for you and me. So I would imagine from New York City to Monroeville, Alabama. Back then, it would have been cheaper than flying. Well, how much were ticket prices for airplanes back then? I don't know. Well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lee, Lee lived in a one-story ranch house with her sister Alice when she was in Monroeville. Clothes shopping was usually done at Walmart or Vanity Fair. Uh, Lee traveled to the laundromat in the next town when she needed something clean to wear. Either Monroeville didn't have a laundromat or she didn't want anybody in Monroeville to know that she was there. So she'd go to the next town over. Makes sense. Uh, So what did Lee do with her money? Well, she liked the casinos. Ah, she gambled. But rather than playing for high stakes, she spent time at the quarter slots. It's going to take you a long time to get through $3 million a year on the quarter slots. Man, it's better than the penny slots. Well, yeah, because that would take even longer. (laughs) But you got that much money, go to the $5 slots, for fuck's sake. You got that much money, go to the $5. I mean, I don't think she really cared if she won or not. I mean, the the exhilaration of winning, but she didn't need the fucking money, so I guess she... No, it was probably just... She could smoke and drink and just... Yeah, she smoked a pipe. Yeah. And she drank uh, whatever. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess. You know know it's Harper Lee in your uh, casino? Yeah, just let her do whatever the fuck she wants to do. Just keep giving her alcohol, let her smoke her pipe, and she'll just spend all of her fucking money here. Um, But Lee... Uh, used a lot of her wealth for charitable causes, such as funding educational opportunities. True to her uh, publicly adverse nature, this was done anonymously. Uh, no matter where she was, she avoided the press, her fans, and anything that seemed too literary. She tried to live her life as she had never published one of the most popular novels in American history. It's kind of hard to do. Well, she did it. She, so I guess she not did that it. hard. She did it, but she, it wasn't something that she was just able to do. She had to work at it. She, you almost, you think she almost had to work harder to not get noticed than to just fucking get noticed and get over it. There's some celebrities out there. You see them so often if you're walking through L.A. or, or, or New York or whatever. L.A. That they, people see them so often where it's just, it's it's nobody, it's not even a big thing anymore. Keanu Reeves takes the subway when he's in New York. You see pictures of him every once in a while, but at some point, it's the same people seeing him all the time. It's just, well, there's Keanu. So you got to think that maybe she worked harder to steer clear of everybody than if she would have just sucked it up, gotten the limelight, and then it'd have been over with. Usually, authors aren't really in the limelight. But I mean, depends on the fucking author. I mean, her best, well, who used to be her best friend, they have a falling out, but Truman Capote. Sucked up every bunch of limelight he could get. And yeah. he was in it for a long time, 60s and 70s. He was in the fucking limelight. Yeah, but I mean, you don't you don't see, like, J.K. Rowling. She was for a long time, and then, you know, now she's just living her life. You don't really get updates on 
news. Unless... No, but she's not somebody who's constantly putting out content either. She does Twitter stuff a lot, but she's not. She doesn't have a book come out every year. No. No, you're, she's not. Stephen a, King doesn't do. You see Stephen King a lot. You don't see him in the tabloids or shit like that. But he's always. But he's he gets in front of the camera all the time because he's in all of the fucking movies or TV shows that's based on his books. He always finds his way in there. Now his son's doing it. He's always getting in there. The um. I think he had a cameo on that Nosferatu that we watch, which is amazing, by the way. If you haven't seen Nosferatu, based off the uh, Joe Hill book, or is it a graphic novel or is it a book? It's a book. It's the the show's great. We love it. Uh, but you, I mean, you see Stephen King and shit. But no, I guess you don't see authors in most things. It just, I don't know. It seemed like she worked harder to not be recognized than she would have to just be recognized and have it over with. I just that's her life I mean she's the millionaire not me uh to anyone who knew her that had been obvious for some time Lee wasn't just struggling with the second novel she was struggling with everything for a while her sister Alice had told an unlikely story about how a manuscript had been stolen from Lee's Manhattan apartment while she was away but soon even Alice stopped saying much about her sister's writings and eventually everyone but the press stopped asking for Harper Lee a time of turning inward had turned into a time of losing and being lost. By setting, setting her novel during the Great Depression, she had published a book that seemed two decades older than what it was. Now, its author seemed just as out of date. So, you, you, you write a book in the 50s and 60s, you know, end of, 50, end of the 50s, beginning of the 60s, based 20, 30 years earlier. You read it. It feels like it was written in the twenty in the you know the thirties. Yeah, so she's probably thinking she fucked herself there. Well, a lot of people are thinking that she's a lot older than what she actually is, too. And then she seems out. So when it gets to the seventies, you're not thinking that she's you know in her forties or fifties. You're thinking that she's in her seventies and that she's on her way out. That's sad. Yeah, but she got that in her head, and I mean, I guess that fucks with you when you want to write. Yeah. Now, most of New York had forgotten she even lived there or was still living at all. Friends in her building remembered, though, when someone banged loudly on their door late at night, they knew it was her because she had done so before. Drunk. Those friends include uh, George Malco, a writer, and his wife, graphic designer, named Elizabeth. They had met Lee when they moved into the same building, and like so many, they were alternately charmed by her remarkable wit and saddened by the private sorrow that stymied her talents. George Malco would say years later, quote, She was drinking at that time. It's not for me to wonder about her demons, but we knew that they were there, and they were brutal. Morning martinis were, weren't unheard of for her, but one night she came asking the Malcos for vodka, when George lied and said they didn't have any, Lee pled her case. Quote, I just threw 300 pages of a manuscript down the incinerator. Yeah. Uh, that impulsiveness, part of her temperament in the best of times, could take over when she had too much to drink. As friends could attest after fielding angry telephone calls in the middle of the night. Uh, so she was a drunk dialer. <laughs> How is it when you're you're sitting at home and all of a sudden you get a drunk dial from Harper fucking Lee? That would be great. Unless she starts berating you about how she wants 
more booze and she only wrote <laughs> one novel. I don't know. Uh, Truman Capote, afflicted by the same demons and more, once confided to a reporter that his friend, quote, would drink and then tell somebody off. That's what it amounted to. She was really a somebody. People were really quite frightened of her. I mean, you see pictures of her when she's older. She's just itty itty bitty woman. But when you see pictures of her when she's younger, especially when she's a kid with Truman, she was beating up the school kids for Truman. So... Capote and Lee were no longer in close touch. But one day, 1976, and that, again, that shows how much you don't see of her. Because I don't like to jump that far in the years. I like to see what's going on. But we're jumping from the early 60s all the way to the mid-70s because she stayed that far underground from the press and and everybody else. But one day in 1976, uh, he called her out of the blue. People Magazine was profiling him. Not for the anniversary of In Cold Blood, but for his new project, a tell-all of sorts. Only what Capote was telling was other people's secrets. I believe that's a big part of the movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, at this time, he he he's not doing a true crime thing. He he's going out telling other people's dirty laundry. Oh. Uh huh. He had signed the contract for the book ten years before and renegotiated it. Over and over again. But like his friend, he hadn't been able to finish it. It took a few telephone calls, but finally Lee agreed to sit with Capote for the interview and meet the photographer, Harry Benson, near Capote's apartment at the UN Plaza. The old treehouse friends walked around 2nd Avenue, talking in what Benson remembered was an almost private language, sweet and loving, like siblings. Which, I mean, that's how it is with... I cannot see my brothers for forever, and then we get together, and I'm still, you know, giving them shit. You're the same way with your brother and sister. Yeah. So. Yeah, for the most part. A lot had transpired between the two of them by then, including no small share of envy and anger and disapproval. Envy and anger mostly on Truman's side. Disapproval mostly on Harper's side. But there was no mention of any of it that day. Gray-haired now and moving more slowly, the pair walked around New York City together. Lee had turned 50 that year, and Capote 52, but they could summon their childhood as if it was yesterday. Lee told the reporter that a kindergarten teacher had whacked Capote's hand with a ruler for reading too well. Small episode, but one that said plenty about the lives of brilliant misfits in their small southern town. Um, He got slapped on the hands because he read too well. Yeah, that's probably... Alabama. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably one of those lies that... uh... Well, yarns that he liked to well, tell. Well, no, she told it. Oh. So Lee, Lee told the reporter that a kindergarten teacher had whacked Capote's hand with a ruler for reading too well. Yeah, I think she was just trying to fluff him up. Maybe. It was in the interview that Lee said of them, quote, We are bound by a common anguish. Anguish, shared and otherwise, had constrained and darkened Lee's life over 15 years. By May 1977, with the exception of the author, everyone who had helped to bring To Kill a Mockingbird to the world was gone. She was the only one left. If Lee had worked on serious writing projects since then, they had been stolen from her apartment or burned to nothingness or simply hadn't hadn't amounted to much on the page. But Lee wasn't done. 
Maybe it was the unexpected sweetness of her reunion with Capote, resurrecting the childhood joy of starting to write and wanting to do so forever, or the artistic rivalry between them, stirring in her the desire to do better what they had done before in Kansas. Or maybe it was just a strange story that she happened to hear that July, not long after her see- after seeing her friend Capote, Nell had received an invitation from another Alabama friend, Ned McDavid, to attend a party at his restaurant on the Upper West Side, the library, where uh, books were used for decoration and drinks were all that circulated. So it was a li- so they called it a library, had books, but they weren't there for reading. They they they. Hand out drinks instead of books, oh, which would, would piss you the fuck off. Yeah, saying. like, let me read a book while you're giving me an alcoholic beverage, fucker. You know? Like, goddamn. She showed up uncharacteristically and downed gin and tonics with some 300 other folks from down home, most of them in the town, to nominate Jimmy Carter for the presidency. It was the 1976 Democratic National Convention, and McDavid was hosting a party on the night before the official event began. Friends, since their Crimson Tide days, he convinced Lee to put an appearance. Crimson Tide. I know how much you just love the Crimson Tide. Did you babe. not just see me roll my eyes? <laughs> no, I was, I, was, I was looking at my <laughs> script. Uh, I wasn't looking at you. <laughs> I rolled my eyes when you said Crimson Tide. <laughs> Stephanie, Stephanie lived in the South for a long time, so she has... Uh, I hate the South. <laughs> <laughs> that's, we'll gonna, just leave listen, it at that. Listen, for all, our, all of our fans in the South, you are great and we love you. <laughs> But she grew up. Uh, I didn't grow up in. The okay, city. okay. She lived around some people that she uh, uh, and around some areas she would rather not talk about. But she's not big on Bama. <laughs> she's not big on LSU. <laughs> she's not big on Florida, Florida, Florida State, uh, any of those places. Georgia, Auburn. Yeah, yeah she's she's not None she's not it. big on those. Mostly uh. because she was so beaten in the head with it while she was down there because that's what it is when you go to the south that's what you get beaten in the I head with I lived in the panhandle yeah. and it, like you got every everything, direct, everything's everything. all around it was, so, oh, it was horrible so instead of instead of being like down in the, in the tip I'm of Florida have nightmares tonight <laughs> instead of being down like, down in the tip of Florida where you where you're just getting it from like Miami or or being like deep into Louisiana where it's all LSU you were right there kind of in the middle of fucking everyone yeah so you got it from all all yeah. sides. I'm, I'm so happy to be back in the Midwest. I know you are. It was lawyer Tom Randy's first convention since the Nightmare of Chicago, and it was where he first crossed paths with Nell Harper Lee. Uh, the Nightmare of Chicago is a callback to the violent assaults and protests at the 1968 DNC. Uh, it was... I read up on it. I knew this before, but I, I, I had to read read up on it, and... This was a time when they were trying to push through uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, and the Chicago DNC it really fell apart, and it, it was it was there were riots in the streets, and people were getting beat, and people were getting arrested for really not doing anything, and the people who were doing stuff weren't getting arrested. It was you know it was it was bad. Oh, so much like today. Yeah, so, yeah, kind of like today. Yeah. Uh, the next year, when violence was breaking out in New York under the cover of the worst blackout in the city's history, he wrote her a summary of the strange life and shocking death of the Reverend Willie Maxwell. Whatever Lee thought of Radney himself, she heard in his case of a lifetime the kernel of a true crime book and headed home to Alabama to write it. So she, she liked she liked doing the true crime with Truman. 
She's going to head to Alabama and try doing it on her own. Now, this story of uh, Willie Maxwell is a crazy one. I'm not going to get too much into it. Um, let's just say it has insurance fraud and multiple murders. Uh, some people think maybe some voodoo. Ooh. And then the kicker is the guy who defended Willie Maxwell, well, he was getting, he was in tri- on trial for murder and insurance fraud. He was murdered outside the courthouse. His lawyer then defended his murderer. That's fucked up. <laughs> Dude, it's oh a, my gosh. If, if you ever get a chance to look up the story of Reverend Willie Maxwell, do yourself a favor, look it up. It is a crazy ride. I believe I heard it first on uh, My Favorite Murder, which is another it's a true crime podcast that I uh, listen to all the time. And I, I believe they're the ones who covered it. And it it's great. I loved it. That's fucked up. It might have been last podcast on the left. I'm not, I don't rem- really remember which one it was, but I know it was one of those. Or not. It could have been criminal. I listen to a lot of true crime co- podcasts. It could be one of those three. <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't seen anything on any of the true crime shows I watch. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I don't know how well known it is. I'm sure down there in Alabama, they probably know all about it. But up here, I had never heard of it until I heard about it on a podcast. And then researching this, I was like, holy shit, I remember that fucking story. It's it's a crazy one. Do yourself a favor, look up uh, the story of Reverend Willie Maxwell. It's uh, it's interesting. Okay. Now, to report the Reverend, as Lee called her manuscript, the then 52-year-old author traveled to Alexander City, Alabama, where she rented a house, interviewed acquaintances of the Reverend Willie Maxwell, secured court documents, and struck up friendships with the, charisma- with the charismatic lawyer, Tom Radney who once defended Maxwell and later represented his killer. She drew some of her reporting techniques from her work on In Cold Blood, but also sought a higher standard of accuracy than Capote had settled for and ultimately grew frustrated with the preponderance of hearsay and rumor in Alexander City. So we know that Truman fudged a lot of the shit Yes, he did. to make it a better story. She didn't appreciate that. Nonfiction should be nonfiction. If it's going to be nonfiction, then then you can't make up. Right, shit. and she did most of the work she for a, his book. She did a so ton of work. I'd be disappointed in him too. I, yeah. Hey, all you book people, do you love wrestling? Do you hate wrestling? Well, I got the podcast for you. I know it's not real, but that had to hurt. Is a podcast Stephanie and I do on all the things we love and hate about wrestling today. Get a viewpoint from people who are strictly fans and live outside the industry. So go to AudioParfait.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, She had some particular reporting difficulties, like people who knew who she was and uh, some of the resistance she encountered from people who were overly enthusiastic. They wanted to tell her what she wanted to hear so they might make it to the book. Or they wanted money to cooperate because they knew that probably there would be a movie. Because her last book got a movie. And this story was just so crazy that it could get a movie. Which I'm surprised it fucking hasn't yet. Oh, it probably... I mean, they make movies out of the dumbest shit. But this this would be an interesting movie. I can't believe they haven't made one yet. 
but you know, more than that, there were people alive at the time she that she was working on the case who were rumored to be involved in some of the insurance fraud, like I talked about. So those individuals are maybe not unwilling to talk, but they were willing to share either not truth not truthful or misleading comments. So there, like I said, it was all an insurance fraud thing that got him and, and murder and all that that got him in trouble. And all these people that she's interviewing, some of them were possibly in the mix with this insurance fraud. So they're not going to want to come out and give her the truth because then they're implicating themselves in the crime. So you can't get much of a true crime book if you have people lying to you. Right. Uh, there was a very active debate at the time of Reverend Maxwell's murder about whether or not he had been a practitioner of voodoo. That's obviously the kind of thing that's very hard to disprove and it was probably frustrating to Lee, judging from letters she wrote about working on this case, trying to figure out whether there was any truth to that. And then on top of that were her struggles with writer's block, drinking, depression, and the confounding of those things around this one project. Writer's block is fucking horrible. I started writing my book four or five years ago, and because of writer's block, I haven't looked at it. I looked at my notebook of information for my book the other day because I had a friend tell me she was interested in writing a book because she's been listening to our podcast. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast, by the way. Yes, thank you. Um, and, you know, she, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, great. I, she does, She's like, I don't know what to write about. You know, I'm, she doesn't think she's very creative. And I was like, write about what you know. Write about your life. Use real life. Take a key from Harper Lee. Write one really good book and make millions off it. It's not that hard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no. It's like take stuff from your everyday life and then, you know, amp it up with imagination. And... I was like, that's what that's what I did. And she's like, oh, you, you wrote a book. I was like, I started one <laughs> like five years ago. Yeah. And yeah. then I got hit with writer's block, real life shit and kids and, uh -huh. you know, all that stuff. So it's it's very real. But writer's block sucks. She she suffers with writer's block. Pretty I mean, pretty much from after she's done with Mockingbird. Writers, she gets hit by writer's block. I mean, she works, you know, she does Mockingbird, she works on In Cold Blood, which really she doesn't have to write anything. She just has to do um, investigations. Right. And, and, and uh, talk to people, do interviews. It's like all those creative juices came out in To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird, and then, you know, in the manuscript to Go Set a Watchman, and then her and Tay worked it out to make Mockingbird, and then Go Set a Watchman comes out 50 years later. But in between that, uh, she was just one giant writer's block. She'd go to her friends and, and neighbors and cry and complain about how she, she couldn't write anything. And that's probably one of the reasons she was so drunk all the time, because she was drinking because she couldn't think of anything to write. And I'm sure that led to some depression. Maybe she should have gotten some edibles or weed back then. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, it's the 60s and 70s. It couldn't have been that hard. It was everywhere. It looks like her vice was liquor. She, she was a drinker. Uh, true crime is one of these genres where there's a real disagreement between speculation and the fact of the matter. Lee's troubles were exacerbated by the fact that she came into this project with such a high standard for accuracy and these really stringent opinions about the differences between fiction and nonfiction. 
that was real, then it's nonfiction. Anything other than that, it's fiction. And she wanted, and she drew that line. And she would not make anything up, and she would not take anybody's opinions or anybody's stories for facts. She wanted facts. And sometimes in true crime, you have to assume. And assuming shit doesn't necessarily mean when it's 100% When you assume, fact. you make an ass out of you and me. That's right. Spell the letters. Ugh. After years of working on the book, she seemingly abandoned the Reverend, though there are some who still believe that, as with To Go Set a Watchman, there is a hidden copy of the final text sash somewhere. Oh. Uh-huh. But as far as we know, because um, here, here in a little bit you'll find about a court case that she had to go through about all of her um, stuff being brought to the public. And uh, as far as we know, nothing's been found yet. But man, I would love to read that fucking book. Because I imagine it would just be chopped up. She didn't actually read it, she, uh, write it. She, it's just a series of, like how to go set a Watchmen was originally. It's just a series of anecdotes. I'm sure it's probably just a series of interviews that she hadn't put into book form yet. But still, I'm sure she did a pretty good fucking job on the interviews. Yeah. She did such oh. a good job within Cold Blood, even though Capote turned out and yeah, I you know, just lied as much as he could about it. Yeah, fuck Capote. <laughs> Goddamn bitch. <laughs> while it's Lee that while it's true that Lee prefers a quiet life outside the spotlight, the author never minded being around people in New York City. She would visit museums and the theater, go to baseball games. She was a Mets fan. I have a friend who's a Mets fan and I give them so much shit because they never fucking win. They they have won <laughs> in the past. Uh, yeah, when Harper Lee was a fan. There's, there's, a, there's no baseball right now, so we can't really say a whole lot. Uh, in Alabama, she ate out. David's Catfish House was uh, her regular place to go. I'm not a huge fan of catfish, but uh, to each their own. Uh, she joined friends for fishing excursions and attended an exercise class headed at the Monroeville Community House. So she, I, I don't want to think of Harper Lee doing any type of hot yoga. But I'm sure there was some stretching. Tiny little fit body. I don't want to. No, no. Getting it out of the head. (laughs) Here you go, babe. Uh, Though Lee didn't read a lot of contemporary fiction, she did enjoy J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. Yay. And was also happy to join Oprah Winfrey for lunch at the Four Seasons in 2006. Oprah's interview request was turned down. Yes, she turned down Queen Oprah. I'd turn down Oprah, too. No, you would not. I would, too. Uh, But the two still had fun together, with Oprah noting, quote, We were like instant girlfriends. It was just wonderful, and I loved being with her. Yeah. Obviously, Harper didn't feel the same way. No, no, she she did. She enjoyed it. She just didn't want to be on TV and give an interview. Oprah's not going to give a magazine interview. It's not going to be on the internet. She wants Harper on her show. Harper Lee's not going to go on fucking national TV. She's been working her whole life to get away from that. So, uh, in March 2005, Lee arrived in Philadelphia. Her first trip to the city since signing with publisher Lippincott in 1960 to receive the inaugural Addy Award for positive depictions of attorneys in the arts from the Specter, Gadden, and Rosen Foundation. At the urge of Peck's widow, Veronica Peck, Lee traveled by train to Monroeville to Los Angeles in 2005 to accept the Los Angeles Public Library Literary Award. Again, you're a millionaire. Take a fucking plane. Stop taking the train everywhere in the, the 2000s. <laughs> you're not Plus, going. You're train not going tickets from, were cheaper. You're not going from St. Louis to Chicago. 
She went from Alabama to Los Angeles on a train. Maybe she liked the scenery and... That's, I suppose. And she has time to kill, I guess. Yeah, she... I, I don't know. And if she was on a plane, she'd be, you know, forced to talk to the person next to him. There's a good possibility she was just afraid of flying. That could be, too. Joe Madden took a, a bus everywhere all across the country because he didn't like to fly. So, or Joe, I said Joe. John Madden. I have a friend named Joe. <laughs> I got John Madden took a bus everywhere instead of flying. So, if it's a possibility, she just took the train because she's afraid to fly. They didn't let her smoke her pipe on the on the plane or get belligerently drunk on the plane. So that could have been another reason she liked to take a train because exactly. you could just sit in your thing and drink all you want. Uh, she also attended luncheons for students who have written essays based on, her, based on her work held annually at the University of Alabama. On May 21st, 2006, she accepted an honorary degree from the University of Notre Dame. Aww. Yeah, that's... that's uh, One that's of my Stephanie's college school. teams yeah. that I love. Wow. Uh, where graduating seniors saluting her saluted her with copies of To Kill a Mockingbird during the ceremony. Oh, uh, I bet she was like, Jesus. Well, it's just a one-time thing. It's not something that she's doing all the time. So I, I think just a one-time, she probably, she, she probably liked it. She but I, I think it. saluting her with the book was a bit of overkill. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, if I was in her position as an author, like... I wouldn't want to just treat me like a normal person. I mean, well, she wanted to begin with. Uh, 2007, Lee suffered a stroke and returned permanently to her hometown in Monroeville, Alabama. While attending an August 20th, 2007 ceremony inducting four members into the Alabama Academy of Honor, Lee declined an invitation to address the audience, saying, quote, Well, it's better to be silent than be a fool. Yeah. Uh, I can think of few people I would like to say that to. It, it reminds me of that quote, like, uh... It's better to keep your mouth shut and... Is it, it's better to keep your mouth shut... And have them think you're stupid than them think you're stupid speak. Then open it and prove everybody right. Or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of those missed quotes from Mark Twain that we had had. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, November 5th, 2007, George W. Bush presented Lee with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This is the highest civilian award in the United States and recognizes individuals who have made an especially meritorious contribution to the security or national interest of the United States, world peace, cultural, or other significant public or private endeavors. So that's just a really fancy way of saying um, America applauds you for everything that you've done. Yeah, here's a tiny metal it's, a, it's actually a fairly good size metal yeah i know I've, I've seen it and there's been some very good people who have gotten it and recently some very bad people who have gotten it but we won't get into that because that's for a different show this is not a political show this babe. Is, that's a different show uh in 2010 president barack obama awarded lee the national medal of arts the highest award given by the united states government for outstanding contributions to the excellence growth support and availability of the arts in a 2011 interview with an Australian newspaper, Reverend Dr. Thomas Lane Butts. <laughs> if you wouldn't have started laughing, I wouldn't have giggled. I didn't. I looked up at you because I imagined that you'd start giggling, and then I giggled all of it because I was waiting for you to giggle, and then you giggled. It was a chain reaction. <laughs> uh, said Lee now lived in an assisted living facility, wheelchair bound, partially blind and deaf, and suffering from memory loss. 
Butts also shared that Lee told him why she never wrote again. Quote, Two reasons. One, I wouldn't go through the pressure and publicity I went through with To Kill a Mockingbird for any amount of money. Second, I have said what I wanted to say and I will not say it again. I use that all the time. I don't like repeating myself. But you have to because I'm partially deaf. Yeah, and we have a <laughs> bunch of kids and kids are assholes. On May 3rd, 2013, Lee had filed a lawsuit in the United States District Court to regain the copyrights to To Kill a Mockingbird, seeking unspecified damages from a son-in-law of her former literary agent and related entities. Lee claimed that the man engaged in a scheme to dupe her and into assigning him the copyright on the book in 2007 when her hearing and eyesight were in decline and she was resided to an assisted living facility after having suffered a stroke. So we, we unfortunately see this more and more with uh, people who have created these things that we love, other people seeming to take advantage of them when they get uh, up there in age. I know, oh, yeah. I know they, there was a big thing with Stan Lee um, when he started going downhill about, I believe it was either an attorney or an accountant that, uh, it turned out that, uh, it, the, it was his accountant, I believe. And it turned out that he wasn't really doing anything behind his back, but that was a big thing. Everybody thought that they were keeping him away from, his family was keeping him away from everybody. So you don't want to see anybody get taken, taken advantage of, especially somebody as lovable as, you know, Harper Lee with her drunken self. It's like <laughs> the drunk aunt that you love. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty much. Uh, in September 2013, attorneys for both sides announced the settlement of the lawsuit. February 2014, Lee settled an argument against the Monroe County Heritage Museum for an undisclosed amount. The suit alleged that the museum had used her name and the title of To Kill a Mockingbird to promote itself and to sell souvenirs without her consent. Lee's attorneys had filed a trademark application on August 19, 2013, to which the museum filed an opposition. This prompted Lee's attorneys to file lawsuits on October 15th, that same year, which takes issues with the museum's website and gift shop, which it accuses of palming off its goods, including t-shirts, coffee mugs, other various trinkets with Mockingbird brands. Ooh. Yeah. I hear a hum. The AC just kicked on. Oh. <laughs> Look, I was like, we have a train. Can you ready to come through our house? No, it's the, the fucking AC coming. Hey, guys. Have you been trying to grow out that beard? I know it took me a while to grow mine. Let me tell you about the people over at TheBeardStruggle.com. They have the ultimate collection of beard growth and care products for guys who are just starting their beard journey and only have a little bit of stubble, all the way to men with glorious chin locks all the way down to their belly buttons. They use 100% natural ingredients, never test on animals, and promise a 365-day money-back guarantee. And now, if you use my coupon code KevinY15 at checkout, you'll save an additional 15% off your order. So go to thebeardstruggle.com or use the link in our show notes and get everything you need to keep that face fur healthy. And don't forget the code KevinY15. That's K-E-V-I-N-Y-1-5 for 15% off today. Go. Now. Odin demands it. According to Lee's lawyer, Tanya Carter, following an initial... Uh, Initial meeting to appraise Lee's assets in 2011, she re-examined Lee's safe deposit box in 2014 and found the manuscript for Ghosts at a Watchman. After contacting Lee and reading the manuscript, 
She passed it on to Lee's agent, Andrew Nurnberg. On February 3rd, 2015, it was announced that HarperCollins would publish Ghost Set of Watchmen. HarperCollins is actually the ones who um, purchased Lippincott, the people who published right. her first. It includes uh, versions of many of the characters. It's a ghost set of Mockingbird. According to HarperCollins' Harper press release, it was originally thought that the Watchmen manuscript was lost. According to Nuremberg, Mockingbird was originally intended to be the first book of the trilogy. They discussed publishing Mockingbird first, Watchmen last, and a shorter connecting novel in between the two. So there's a uh, possibility that might have been one of the things she was working on all those times she had writer's block. She was maybe she was working on the sequel. The, well, it sounds like there would have been a, you know, book one, a novella, and then. Well, they're talking about a, a short connecting novel between. That's a novella. Yeah, between Mockingbird and Ghost of Watchmen. Watchmen. So I was saying there's there's a good chance that maybe that's what she all those years where she couldn't get anything, maybe that's what she was working on. Maybe that's what she was she was trying to connect because she already knew the end of the story because she already had Watchmen written. So you got to think that maybe she's trying to connect the two all the time and couldn't think of a way to do it. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Jonathan Mahler's account in the New York Times of how Watchmen was only ever really considered to be the first draft of Mockingbird makes this assertion seem unlikely. Evidence where the same passages exist in the book, in many cases, word for word, also further refute this assertion, which we know that Mockingbird was taken straight from that manuscript that the Ghost Set of Watchmen is. That doesn't necessarily mean that Tay and Harper didn't discuss doing three books, but Tay was never able to get Harper to write another one. Right. So the book was controversial, controversially published in July 2015 as a sequel to To, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, though it has been confirmed to be the first draft of the latter with many, many narratives incongruencies repackaged and released as a completely separate work. The book is set some 20 years after the time period depicted in Mockingbird. Um, so Watchmen is pretty much set when she wrote Mockingbird. Right. So they pretty much did steal her manuscript well, out of her bank well, her, her safe deposit box yeah. that went in and then they found she uh, she found it and then decided well maybe I should do something with this because we can get more money out of her yes yeah, so that's she... the that's the controversy around it it's it's she's she's older she's on her way out the door everybody can see she had just had a stroke a few years ago she's on her way out the door she's deaf pretty much she's mostly blind. She's not going to be 100% there anymore. She's going to be, I mean, she's going to be pretty with it, but things start slipping when you get older. And people start thinking, well, you look at how good Mockingbird did. What else can we get out of her before she kicks the bucket? Because once she's gone, it's a lot harder to get that shit published without lawsuits and everything because she doesn't really have an heir to leave it to. So it all goes to attorneys and shit. But that, that sure was. Sure, she had a will in there. Yeah, well, and that was the that was the big thing is well they're they're releasing this at a at a weird time that all of a sudden was found and all of a sudden now they want to release it even though if Tay was still alive she'd adamantly 
tell them no, you're not releasing it. Yeah, that's it's kind of. I really up. wish her and Tay would have been alive at the same exact time, born on the same fucking day, because I can imagine, I can only imagine how, what would be different than what we ended up getting. Yeah, and I think maybe, I mean, I know it was a lot different back in the day. But even in the the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, if somebody who cared about her, her friends, family, whatever, if they would have put her in rehab for drinking, if her... She probably wouldn't have gone. She stopped... The friends who who showed concern concern about her her drinking, she she cut off. Yeah, she stopped being friends with them. She didn't want anybody anybody giving her any shit about what she was doing. So I don't think... She would have gone to the rehab unless it was court ordered, and she didn't do anything bad enough to have to go to court. So I don't think she would have ended. I don't think she would have ever gone. Mm, true. Um, in Watchmen, Scout returns as an adult from New York to visit her father in Maycomb, Alabama. It alludes to Scout's view of her father, Atticus Finch, as the moral compass or the Watchman of Maycomb near the beginning of the modern civil rights movement. In Watchmen, Atticus Finch is aging and infirm. Jim is dead. Dill lives in Europe. Uh, Calpurnia is alienated from the Finch family and most of Maycomb's white population. And Jean Louise's relationship with her relatives has collapsed into acrimony, alienation, and confrontation. In a pivotal scene, Jean Louise accidentally wanders upon a white citizens' council meeting in the town's historic courthouse historic courthouse and secretly listens from her location in the segregated balcony what she overhears stuns and enrages her henry clinton her unofficial fiance and her father's law partner and atticus finch are trying to wrest control of the fledgling racist organizations from its more violent spokesman jean louise is appalled and confronts her boyfriend father uncle aunt and childhood acquaintances about their racism much of Watchmen centers on these confrontations. So, pretty much Atticus Finch goes from uh, trying to keep black people out of jail who are accused of things that they shouldn't have been accused of to uh, pretty much being a, a horrible racist. Wow. Yeah. Uh, during the run-up to the 2015 publication, Racial Violence in Ferguson, Missouri, which we remember quite well because we're not too far from there. We were a little worried it was going to work its way all the way over here for a little bit because it was one of those things that kind of grew as it went along. It it did get close. It it did go over the border. You had a lot of dumb fucks that were coming from way out of town, like Texas coming all the way up to St. Louis just to riot because they saw it as a good opportunity to loot. I saw a lot of that in the, in the news and some people that lived over in that area that I worked with at the time uh, were telling me that they met people that were from way far away, that they were de- just there because they wanted to riot, which is fucking stupid. But we were worried for a little bit it was going to work its way over here because we're far enough away to where we probably didn't need to be that scared, but close enough to where it's always kind of in the back of your mind. Yeah, they're, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Also in Baltimore, Maryland, and Charleston, South Carolina, uh, created an environment that conditioned readers to view Watchmen similarly to the way readers had understood Mockingbird in the 1960s as a race-centered novel. Unfortunately, all this shit 
didn't stop back then. It's still chugging along. And it's it's sad. It it's too sad. Yeah. Um, but it better fits under the rubric of philosopher Joseph Campbell's mythic hero with a thousand faces concept. The story of a strong woman or man setting out on a journey of dangerous discoveries who can never return to the banalities and noisy obscenities of her former home and life. February 2015, announcements of the pending publication of Watchmen generated a virtual storm of rumors, counter-rumors, personality clashes, and conspiracy theories that swirled through Lee's hometown of Monroeville. The fact that Lee had not published a novel since To Kill a Mockingbird in July of 1960 and had been reported over the years as claiming she would not publish another novel, quickly became an issue. Much of the controversy focused on rumors about Lee's involvement, or lack thereof, in the publication and control of her literary work. Lee's health also contributed to the rumors. The author, who had maintained a residence in New York City from 1949, suffered a stroke, returned permanently to Monroeville in 2007, and at the time of the announcement, she was living in an assisted living facility, but was mentally alert, and able to converse with visitors. So they figure, well, she can talk, so she knows what she's doing. Yeah, but, you know, once you reach a certain age, it's easy to be, easier, I'll say, to be manipulated. Yeah. Especially if people are fast-talking and slick with their words. And especially people that you, you're supposedly trust. Right, yeah, that too. You feel like they're doing what they need to do for your best interest. And if you word things a certain way, it sounds it like you're saying one thing, but you actually mean another. Adding to the speculation about Lee's approval of the novel's publication was the publicity surrounding a 2013 lawsuit charging her literary agent, Sam Pincus, with stealing Lee's copyright and royalties. The case uh, settled out of court by the restoration of both. Another factor that contributed significantly to the controversy was the announcement came only a few months after the death of Lee's protective sister, attorney Alice Lee. Uh, you got to think that Alice probably wouldn't have let any of this go through because she was, I mean, she was a lawyer. Right. And uh, in November, uh, she died in November 2014. The role of Alice's law partner and designated successor, successor Tanya Carter, in Watchmen's discovery and publication, deepened the dispute. According to Carter, she found the original manuscript, 2014, in a safe deposit box attached to the back of an early transcript of Mockingbird, but in July 2015, reporters of the New York Times declared that the manuscript was discovered in October 2011 by Carter, Pincus, and Justice Justin Caldwell, a rare books expert from Scothby Auction House in London, thereby raising questions as why the public announcement was delayed until after Alice's death nearly four years later. Yeah, that's, that's really fucked up. Don't... Fuck them, guys. <laughs> Carter countered that she knew nothing of the discovery and that on the day in question, she had opened the bank box for the two men, remained with them for a short amount of time, and then left to run errands. <laughs> Some longtime Monroeville residents, resentful of Carter, whom they perceived as a relative newcomer and grieving the death of the 103-year-old Alice Lee, told reporters that Carter had manipulated the entire affair for her own profit isolated the famous author from her friends and acquaintances, and shielded her from contact with the media. She didn't need shielded from the media. She just didn't talk to him anyway. Right. The Lee family, however, expressed confidence in Carter's handling of the affair. Lee 
relished the privacy that Carter, Carter afforded her by dealing with inquiring visitors, curious lurker, locals, and hundreds of reporters who descended on the tiny town, interviewing anyone in sight and printing their largely uninformed opinions. So it was a bunch of people thought they knew what was going on. Didn't really know what was going on. But it still seems kind of shady to me. Yeah. Because it seems like it's one of those things, no, 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 she's doing what's best for me. She's doing what's best for me. But you see a lot of people like that think that the person that's doing all this is doing its best for them. I don't want to sit here and say that Harper Lee was being manipulated because I, I have no idea. But it seems... It seems like she was taken advantage of. It seems very coincidental that just after her sister dies and just before she's about to die, they find this manuscript that could be worth millions. And now the person who would keep them from signing anything is out of the way. And the person who needs to sign it is on her way out. It 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 could just be coincidence. It, it obviously could. But man, that's a hell of a fucking coincidence. And it's it's not just one. It's it's a row of them. Yeah. Meanwhile, pre-publication orders for the novel sent in soaring to sent it soaring to the top of the New York Times bestseller list with Mockingbird trailing just behind it. So this really bumped up uh, sales for Mockingbird because a lot of people they wanted to read Mockingbird then they wanted to read Ghost of Watchmen because a lot of people they read it in high school haven't read it since so they got it so they could reread it right and this jumped up to the top of the bestsellers wasn't even out yet it was all pre-sale I mean good for her she's gonna be gone yeah. and... on the day of the publication Monroeville's population was swollen by reporters from around the world the town streets were choked with the sound of trucks television cameras, and special event organized by the Monroeville Chamber of Commerce and the Alabama Tourism Department. So not only do we have all these lawyers getting, making sure they make some money off of it, you have the entire state and the city trying to make money off of it too by just setting up, setting up all, this, all these fairs and the Alabama Tourism Department coming into it. Just drive around and I point guess. out her house. Hey, look, I'm going to charge you $20 per head. I, I've... I bet it was pr probably pretty hard to find where she even lived, unless you knew her. Most people probably didn't even know where she lived, because she probably didn't tell anybody. I would imagine that a lot of people probably knew who knew her, but if you didn't know her, you probably weren't finding yeah. her house. And it depends on how, how good she was to the people there, whether or not they just went out of their way to tell everybody. You know, five bucks, I'll tell you where she lived. Yeah. Uh, finally, able to sample the book's contents for themselves, readers reached different conclusion about its history and meaning. From most literary critics' point of view of Watchmen, Lee's first written work fell falls short of the towering brilliance of Mockingbird, which is technically her second book. But many readers appreciated Lee's tortured racial fiction. So after all this time, a lot of people are reading it going, yeah, it's not so good. <laughs> because it wasn't a book. It was a, it was a manuscript. It was a series of anecdotes that she had written. Yeah, it hadn't been edited. It, it, yeah, I mean, it needed. I'm sure that somebody looked at it and say, "Oh, let's make sure everything's spelled right" or some shit. But Tay wasn't there to make that thing a book. She just had a bunch of attorneys say, "Here, Harper Collins, put this out," and they did it. You gotta think. I mean, if again, I keep saying if Tay was there, it'd be different. But if she would have got a whole, okay, let's make a second book out of this. You gotta think that it would have. It, it might not have been as good as Mockingbird, but it would have been better than what it yeah, was. Yeah, and she could have pushed. Harper into 
helped her writing and helped her creatively like she did before. Yeah, I would have liked to see her with her because she, Tay died in the mid-70s. And um, you got you to gotta wish that they had been around a little bit more. Because yeah. it really, I think it really would have changed things. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, here we go. Lee died in her sleep in the morning of February 19th, 2016, at the age of 89. So, a pretty long life. Well, I mean, her sister made it to 103, and yeah. she... So, prior to her death, she lived in Monroeville, Alabama. On February 20th, her funeral was held at the First United Methodist Church in Monroeville. The service was attended by close family and friends, and the eulogy was given by Wayne Flint university professor in the Department of History at Auburn University. After her death, the New York Times filed a lawsuit, another fucking lawsuit, that argued that since Lee Lee's will was filed in a probate court in Alabama, that it should be part of public record. They argued that wills filed in probate court are considered part of the public record and that Lee should follow suit. An Alabama court unsealed Lee's will, but the mystery surrounding one of America's literate American literature's most cherished authors only deepened. The will, signed on February 11, 2016, eight days before her death, directed that the bulk of her assets, including her literary properties, be transferred into a trust she formed in 2011. The will named Tanya Carter, Lee's longtime lawyer, as the executor or personal representative of the estate and it provided her with wide-ranging powers to shepherd Lee's literary legacy and the rest of her assets 11 days before she died. Yeah, that's... Or no, wait. Eight days before she died. I'm sorry. It's... Again, could be coincidence. I doubt it. It's just... (sighs) Carter had gone to court in 2016 to successfully persuade probate judge Greg Norris of Monroe County to seal the will, citing Lee's desire for privacy. And while the estate had stressed in in court papers that making the will public could lead to potential harassment of individuals identified in it, the document itself is strikingly opaque. It was unsealed on the basis of the lawsuit filed by the New York Times seeking to review the document. Times argued that it was filed in a probate court in Alabama. Things that are filed in probate courts are typically public record. Um, he said Lee's privacy concerns were no different from those of others whose wills are processed through the court system. So just because she's rich and famous shouldn't change anything. She files in probate court, becomes public record, just like everybody else. Archie Reeves, the lawyer who represented the Times, said, quote, it's a public record and the press and the public have the right to the public record, which I guess is technically true. But, I mean, it, it, it is in that that we find that Ms. Carter seemed like, it, it seems shady. I keep saying it, it's a, it could be a coincidence, but it really seems shady. It's, it's more than just shady. It's more than just coincidence. <sighs> the document's lack of transparency will like, likely fuel skepticism among those who feel that Carter had embasted too much power over Lee's career and legacy. Uh, the will gives Carter substantial control over Lee's estate and her literary properties, which are assigned to the Mockingbird Trust, an entity, the entity that she formed in 2011. Carter serves as one of its two trustees. 
One of the two witnesses to the will, Cynthia McMillan, a former resident assistant who had helped carefully at the facility where she had lived, said in an interview that Lee seemed competent when she signed it. Quote, In my opinion, she was. So, we take the word of a uh, assistant living uh, caretaker. Now, I... She, she took care of Lee, so there was a... You took care of of people. Yeah, you I did you, you take independent. Care of other, yeah, so you for you you do form a relationship with them to where you care about them. The question is, does this Cynthia McMillan have that type of relationship with Harper Lee? You want to hope hope she does. I mean, we can't say whether she did or she didn't, but you want to hope she does. No, I had to take care of a person, well, a couple that lived in one of those type places and. They still had nurses go in there. They still had people go in there. I had to help clean their apartment before the cleaners went in there because they didn't want their apartment to look dirty. I've known lots of people like that. And it's it's ridiculous. Oh, like, the maid's coming over. Let's clean before the maid gets here. Yeah. Will you vacuum before house cleaning comes up? Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, but what I'm but but the question is, this was a a res, resident caretaker at the uh, facility, and I've known plenty of people that work at those places, and some of them become very close to the people they work to the point where when somebody dies, they they have a hard time getting over it. Yeah, I I see that, but then there's also the, the point where you know it becomes it's just a job. I'm just there to clean up after them. Yeah, because for some people, yeah. They they can take care of themselves. They can wipe their own butts. You know, it's. Yeah, I don't think she was that far down to where she couldn't do that type of stuff on her own. Yeah, yeah. she was just partially deaf, partially blind. Yeah. And so, but it became more real for me when I took care of them in their own homes. Yeah. And had to help them walk and had to help them wipe and clean up after them, make them their dinner, help them get dressed and stuff. That's when I became attached. Yeah. Well, we'll really, I mean, we'll really never know exactly what happened, but that is our story of Harper Lee. Mel Harper Lee. That's where it uh, it ends for us, but guy, yeah, you got to think there's still there's still plenty of shit to dig up. I'm pro- I'm thinking they're probably still doing some lawsuits because I bet that greedy bitch wants more fucking control I, I of know. her assets. I mean, I don't she, I don't think she can get very much more control of it. It's, it's just there's two trustees that it went to her and one other person and I mean that that's about I doubt the, the court's never going to give her 100% complete access to anything that's just not they're not going to do that so there's always going to be somebody else on there so I think that she's probably got as much I, I don't think you're going to bleed any more blood from that stone honestly you're getting all you can get from the Harper Lee well, estate is there a way for them to look up her will before it was changed eight days before her death uh probably not because once it's changed and signed it doesn't matter anymore she signs it and then there's a witness there saying that she was you know coherent when she signed it then that's all i care really care about i don't know if you're uh a will or trustee lawyer listening to this and you want to email us and tell us um what the rules are uh info at audioparfait.com we'd love to hear from you also if you just want to email us and just Tell us anything. Tell us that it's horrible. Tell us that it's great. 
we're recommend an author. It. Yeah, an author, um, a big nefarious book that you'd like for us to tell everybody the the history of. Anything you got, go ahead and uh, shoot us an email over there. Uh, Stephanie, socials. We are at open and effing book at Twitter and Instagram. I am at ECJBAT at Twitter and Instagram. I am uh, at Young, E-T-A-M, that's Y-O-U-N-G, E-T-A-M, Twitter and Instagram. Also, Audio Parfait at Twitter, on Twitter and Instagram. You can go to our website, www.audioparfait.com. You can go to our Anchor page, uh, anchor.fm slash openafbook. It's all one word, openafbook. And uh, you can leave us a voice message. Uh, again, a friend of my wife's left us a very nice voice message that we will uh, get around to playing here in not uh, too long. That's something working up for that. That We're, we're going to maybe embarrass her a little bit. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> you know who you are when you're out there. Uh, but leave us a voice message. If Let us know whatever you think. Li- literally, you can tell us anything you want. We don't care. And uh, if it's good enough might make its way onto the show. Yeah, wouldn't that be exciting? I know. Well, I'm super excited. <laughs> I hope I'm going to leave a message so I show up on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking weirdo. All right. Uh, well, that's Harper Lee, and next week we'll have a brand new author, and I, I'm just going to get you guys right. I know there's been some, uh, you know, there's, there's love for the long series, like with Mark Twain had three parts, and then there's love for the shorter series, Harper and uh, Howard, both two parts. Um, if you love the longer series, you're going to have a heyday with our next writer because his life, oh boy, howdy. <laughs> Man, boy, howdy. it's a, it's a, it, it, it's a life. It really is. It's one of those where I, I it's hard to decide what to leave out because I don't want it to be a, a seven or eight episode series yeah i know <laughs> but i also don't want to cut out so much don't want to shorten it to the point where you lose so much of his life because it's oof, man so you guys have that to look forward to uh next week so take care of yourselves take care of each other and from now to the time we get to talk to you next time do yourself a favor go open a fucking book That's right all right bye guys bye guys